0: nutritional labels epigenetics and environmental burials all that and more on this week's episode of ask science mike you got questions he's got answers even though we may not understand he'll talk anyway he got problems he won't solve them but he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face science faith and life Well, hello, my friends in the podcast world. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Science Mike. I'm your host. Uh, My name is Mike McCarg. You may have inferred from the title of this program that people also call me Science Mike. And this is a show that I do most weeks because I believe that every sincere question deserves an honest and non judgmental response. And that's what this show is about. It's not about my expertise. Uh, it's not a question and answer show as much as a question and response because it seems to me like we're in a place in our culture and certainly in a lot of our subcultures where people don't always have an opportunity to ask questions from a genuine place of curiosity because of taboo or fear or shame. And so this podcast uh, is about that and we have got some really Fun stuff in the pipeline with this podcast. I had a meeting with Caitlin, who's the producer of this show this week, and she's been talking with the whole team behind Ask Science Mike. And there are so many wonderful ideas. We're going to move into some themed shows in the near future, and you'll hear me talk about that in the coming weeks. Uh, So I'm just so excited about this program and the time that I get to spend with all of you every week. And speaking of time, That I get to spend with you. I do have an event coming up uh, April 25th. I'll be at the First Christian Church in Tyler, Texas uh, for an event Uh, that's actually a conference, and you can learn more about that event by going to asksciencemike.com and clicking on the events tab, which by the way, uh, really soon, maybe even by uh, next week, I will drop a huge list of events. For the rest of the year, uh, so I'll be going lots of places, and we will have plenty of time to spend together. Uh, I also want to let you know, based on that, uh, kind of previewing what we'll talk about with events. Uh, it's a big year for me. I've got a new book coming out this year, and uh, April twenty eighth, my new book, "You're a Miracle and a Pain in the Ass," comes out, and uh, it's a book about how hard it is to grow and change and accept ourselves and be in intimate relationship with other people and ways that we can find those things to be easier. It's a book I absolutely adore that I worked really hard on. And uh, just minutes ago, I got on my website and did a little light coding uh, so that it'd be easier for you to pre-order the book. So if you go to com slash book. That'll take you straight to my publisher's website with links to like a gazillion different places that you can buy uh, the book. And for those of you who listen to this show, you are like the heart of my community and my most ardent and faithful supporters. And I just want to let you know that not only is this book great, and I'm really proud of it, but your pre-orders make a huge difference in the trajectory of the book. So already... You all have been pre-ordering a lot of books, and when you do that, retailers start deciding how many books they want to order total. They decide where they're going to put them in the store. It helps my publisher decide how much resources uh, to put around the book launch. So uh, do consider pre-ordering the book uh, if you're considering ordering it at all. Uh, I will tell you, for me, it's a little weird. This is my second book. Um, the reception versus my first one um, has been pretty cool, actually. As I look at some of the metrics and measurements uh, this far from out, out from launch for this book compared to my first book, there seems to be a, a bigger level of excitement and attention uh, with this book than there was with my first one, which certainly feels exciting. Uh, so thank you all for being So kind, honestly, and so helpful and so encouraging um, with all my work, including the books. I also, uh, we are on a real uh, tear on Ask Science Mike. Um, You know, I I think the show is coming out more regularly thanks to the team that works on it and them guiding and helping me, Uh, but I'm also seeing a lot of reviews come back in uh, for the podcast, for a while you would star it, but I didn't get a lot of reviews, and the reviews helped people find it. So we had a just a bunch, a bunch of reviews come in, in January, and uh, they were so kind. one that really struck me uh, was from uh, some that D Brookshire is their username, and it says "Voice of Reason." Well, I don't always agree with Science Mike on personal issues. He brings a voice of reason to hard topics. And breaks down difficult topics into very digestible information. uh gosh, what a kind thing to say and I do strive um, to my goal is to not get you to agree with me, but to help you understand things and make your own choices, which we will really lean into as we get into this show this week because you asked some very very difficult uh topics here's another uh, review from Eric um, Berger is the, uh, the, the username. These are not people's names. These are just little nicknames they give themselves in iTunes. And it says one of the best shows for sparking curiosity. I can't think of another podcast that I've listened to that covers such a wide range of topics in as gentle a tone as this one. I've been listening to the podcast for the past three years and it has had a profound impact in pushing me to think about my worldview and how it could be more inclusive. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my, wow, that's uh <laughs> I just had to take a moment um to take that in. I always like to cry in the first 5 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> So, your reviews uh, they they really help people find the show. I've noticed that downloads are going up, and the reviews are a big part of that. Um, so if you if you enjoy this 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 space that we have together and you want it to grow and more people to be involved, a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts is a great way to do that. And then finally, of course, don't forget to send in your questions so you ask dot com. You can send emails that you write out via the website. You can record a voicemail. It goes to the team, and that's how the show's questions uh, happen. People send them in, and then uh, the patrons, they all vote. They pick the questions that, that make it to you every week. Sometimes they pick questions I would have never picked, by the way, including uh, this week because they're too hard. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's uh, this is your show. So you decide where it goes by what questions that you send in, And then uh, the patrons work together to really apply the editorial lens. They're the ones who uh, pick how the show is structured, which, by the way, if you want to join the patrons, you can do that on AskScienceMike.com as well. We have a lot of fun together. Uh, So what do you say? Let's get it started.
1: Hi, Science Mike. This is Robbie, and I'm calling you from the Netherlands. First, let me say I really appreciate your work and perspective. And it's helped me in many ways over the last few years as I've worked through my own journey in reforming my personal worldview. My question today is a very personal one as it involves my 12-year-old son who my wife and I adopted at birth. Ever since he was a baby he's struggled with behavioral issues and we've struggled to understand what often feels like an alternate reality that he inhabits. The specific challenges are too complex and numerous to share here But my question is about a recent explanation we received from a new psychiatrist he is seeing. He spoke to us about the concept of epigenetics, which is a field that studies how the supporting structures around the DNA can cause certain traits to be either suppressed or enhanced based on the environment, and that this metadata can sometimes be inherited. In other words, my son's behavior is very likely inherited based on the stressful environment of his birth parents. I'd never heard of this before, but the explanation seems to fit the evidence. So I'm very curious to hear your perspective on this. Thanks again for all you do.
0: Well, Robbie, um, I listened to your question in order to research it, as I always do. And I focused on the epigenetics component. Uh, But now that I'm listening again... I hear parents who love their child and are having a hard time, and I don't want to skip over that. It sounds really difficult. It sounds like you're in a process of searching for solutions to a difficult problem as a parent, and I just wanted to take a moment to give that some space. I think that many people can identify with that. And I'm happy to offer you a little bit of uh, amateur research into epigenetics, as that is helpful. And as you've asked, But I wanted to call out first the far more important topic, and that's the love and affection that you have for your child is obvious in your question now as i did a little not a little a lot of research i'm really into epigenetics this is something uh, i've already studied in pretty significant detail this was going to be um a pretty sizable part of uh the book that i have coming out in april but it ended up getting uh, cut pretty early in the process um Epigenetics is kind of a newer thing in science and in biology, and it's the study of changes in organisms or life forms that are caused by the modification of gene expression rather than the alteration of genetic code itself. Um, So it's distinct from genetics in that it's like the mechanisms that surround genetics and the expression of genes. And epigenetics allows cells to do things in response to the environment. Um, so, for example, it allows cells to differentiate between, despite having the same DNA. So you have brain cells and skin cells and muscle cells, and they have the same DNA, yet they're different types of cells. Epigenetics is what enables that. They also... Uh, Handle structural issues for a cell, for example, DNA would be too long to fit in a cell, so there are epigenetic mechanisms that keep it folded up uh, so that it can stay inside of a cell's nucleus, uh, which is neat. You want your DNA <laughs> inside your cells uh, and not outside or sticking through the cell membrane. That would be a disaster. uh so epigenetic factors do that um, and we're learning. That epigenetic factors seem to allow cells in a given organism to respond to environmental pressures, uh, which is actually makes a lot of sense. You know, there are there are animals in the world that don't have nervous systems, multicellular animals. There's not many, but there are a few multicellular organisms that don't have nerves at all and yet they can respond to environmental pressures. Epigenetics uh, plays a role in that. And scientists have identified that environmental pressures on complex organisms, specifically human beings, uh, they do play an epigenetic role. So we have seen the way, for example, that famine affects epigenetics and gene expression in humans. And we've also seen that child abuse affects epigenetics and therefore impacts gene expression. So that's a, that's a big deal, um, and that is relatively new science. Now, when we get to the question of heredity and epigenetics, the picture gets less clear. You know, if we were to ask the question, are epigenetic traits passed down, my answer would be maybe. It's important to note that the science of inherited or heritable epigenetics is new. And we know that it's possible for epigenetic markers in cells to show up and be transmitted to human sperm and egg cells uh, from the organism producing them. Uh, But it seems like those markers get reset when those cells combine. When you have germination, uh, there's this moment where everything kind of gets reset. And so the question is, are there exceptions to that that would allow epigenetic transmission? And you will hear people speak with great confidence that this occurs. And they do that because some studies do seem to indicate epigenetic inheritance occurs. And yet, other studies of similar rigor and methodological soundness don't support that. So we have conflicting findings. And so this is an unanswered question in the sciences, and one that has a lot of studies in progress. I would imagine that at some future date, um, I don't know if that's five years or 25 years, we'll have a much, much better understanding of epigenetic inheritance. Now, but back to your question, separate from inheritance, it is uh, less of a stretch to say that factors that happened During prenatal development and environmental stressors, especially for the mother, uh, could impact epigenetic factors and therefore impact gene expression. That is plausible for sure. Um, Now, what do you do about that as a parent? Now, that's difficult. I'm glad that you're talking to the right professional support team uh, to work through those factors. Um, If you're curious and want to dig a little deeper, uh, I have four uh, pretty good um, resources that I'll include on the show notes at AskScienceMike.com this week uh, so that you can dig deeper into epigenetics and how they impact our gene expression and how, uh, especially in early childhood, those things occur. This episode of Ask the Science Mike was brought to you by BetterHelp, one of the long-standing sponsors of the program. And I love BetterHelp. Actually, right after this recording session, I have an appointment with my counselor on BetterHelp. I am a paying subscriber to the service. Now, what is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is a solution to the problem of trying to find a therapist. They're an online counseling service that works with over 6,000 licensed therapists in the United States and beyond, specializing in all the kinds of challenges we face in our life, like grief or dealing with anger or relationship problems, LGBTQ issues, all the kind of problems that we face in life, BetterHelp has qualified counselors to help you with. Here's how it works. If you go to BetterHelp.com slash Science They'll take you through a questionnaire that will match you with a counselor you will enjoy working with. And what if you don't? That's no problem. BetterHelp will let you change your counselor at any time with no questions asked. And one of my favorite things about BetterHelp is the fact that they offer their services on a sliding scale to make them accessible to everyone. So you can enjoy 10% off your first month's service with BetterHelp by going to BetterHelp.com slash Science Mike today to get started on a new you. Our next question came in via email and it reads, I spend a lot of time of my life close to people who are dying or mourning. I spend a lot of mental energy thinking of our Mother Earth. And I've recently been thinking a lot about soil and healthy soil composition." I think it's because of these things that I find myself wondering over and over again is the fact that we don't return our bodies to the soil impacting the environment. Are we truly supposed to honor the idea of from dust to dust? I know there are public health reasons that are impacted the way we do burials now. I think cremation is a more environmentally responsible thing to do, but this question churns around on a loop for me, so I'm hoping you might have insight and that you haven't already answered it. Quinn. Quinn, I have no idea if I've answered this question. <laughs> My memory of the program's uh questions is not good. You know, we're we're getting into the two hundreds on episodes. Most episodes have had four or more questions and then uh it's a lot of questions. Um so I don't know if I've answered this on the program or not, but not recently enough that I can recall. <laughs> So um, we'll, we'll dig through it. I've thought about this a lot, too. Um, there's no question that the way we handle burials in the United States is troublesome. It is very expensive, first of all, which is an economic hardship on people that I don't uh, think should be subjected to at such a difficult time. Embalming chemicals are gross. They're not just gross. They're uh, they're toxic. They're actually toxic, and uh, we put a lot of embalming fluid in bodies to prepare them for burial. Um, and this is all part of the ritual of having, you know, a wake or a visitation or a viewing of the body. Embalming chemicals make that. Um, more palatable although thirty two percent of people um indicate that they don't find that to be a positive experience even with embalming um which is interesting that's a that's a high percentage um and so when we embalm a body and we we then put it in a in a, in a coffin and then bury it eventually uh formaldehyde and other Toxic chemicals do make it into the ground soil uh, and potentially into the ground water over time, so that's troublesome. Cremation has its own problems. One, uh, crematoriums don't typically have very good filtration systems on their exhaust, so they release a lot of carbon. They also release mercury into the atmosphere. Um, So neither of the most common ways that we handle um, our remains following death are environmentally sound or friendly now why do we do it this way it is a profit center for a major industry Um, and i i don't i wouldn't mean that in a way uh to you know minimize the hard work that anyone working for a funeral home does um i'm not accusing any particular person of acting in bad faith here. What I'm doing is describing a system of which the outcomes aren't great. Um, So in my opinion, the most environmentally sound way uh, to handle human remains is just direct burial. So that's a minimal uh, casket or a burial shroud um, that the body's lowered into a grave and buried. And there's not health risks associated with that. The CDC has validated that. Um, The current process is mainly centered around, you know, being able to see a loved one who has died again before they're buried. And we just have to ask ourselves each person um, is that our wish? And I think it's on each person to make that decision for themselves and to leave a clear directive in their will for their families. I don't want my family to undergo significant burial expenses. I don't want to be cremated. I don't want to be embalmed. I'd prefer a simple direct burial uh, to save money and to lower my environmental impact and uh that's important to me and i've made that choice so i think you're on to something here about impact on soil now i think in terms of things that impact our soil <laughs> we have much bigger fish to fry and climate change and deforestation desertification uh there are many many more problems uh industrial agriculture and monoculture and crops um poor crop rotation cycles, the soil is under many, many threats more significant than human burial. But it's still something worth thinking about, and it's something you have a lot of control, direct control over, because whatever you put in your will typically uh, is what will happen to your remains when you die. Uh, So I, I do laud you for thinking about this. It's something I've thought about a lot as well. And I've got two links in the show notes here on this question. Um, This will be episode 211 of Ask Science Mike. Hello, Science Mike. I was wondering, how accurate are the nutrition labels on the backs of food products? When something says it has 100 calories, is there some kind of acceptable standard deviation that it might have 110 or 90? How accurate are those things? And... uh, who is looking out for that kind of stuff? Thanks so much. Nutritional labels on our food uh, is handled by the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, and they're uh, they do so in accordance with a law called the Nutrition Labeling and Education Act of nineteen ninety, and that made a standardized format for specific nutrients to be. Reported on food labels. Um, and they're wildly imprecise. (laughs) Um, and that's, I don't think that's some big conspiracy. I think, in order to be flexible, the FDA allowed five different methods to estimate calories. And understanding that that was an inexact science, they allow a variance of up to 20%. Um, and this makes some sense. For example, how many calories are in an apple? Do you have to you know, create a unique label for every apple or for a pack of apples? Um, that would be very difficult. Apples vary in size. And so immediately, even if we had a very accurate count, we know that a given apple or carrot or sweet potato uh, will have different amounts of calories. The same thing uh, for uh, something like steak. How marbled it is is going to wildly impact um, the amount of calories in a given piece of that steak. Um, so we have we have a lot of variance here. Um, and that means we can actually have a variance of beyond 20% uh, because of the variance in a food item. So when you take the 20% allowed for two apples to be the exact same size and then add the difference you can have in the size of apples or in the the fatty content in a in a piece of meat you're getting up to a 50% variance in calories now that's a lot uh we also have the issue of even if we um have you know a fairly accurate label uh we don't absorb all of the calories that we consume so depending on the food item um you're going to you're going to actually absorb less calories than is on the label which you know some people might view as good um and sometimes you'll you'll absorb more so for things like nuts you tend to absorb a smaller amount but for high fiber vegetables you absorb more and then when we cook food cooking dramatically increases the amount of calories in a food that are available for us to absorb with our bodies so the act of cooking food raises the effective calories of a piece of food beyond what it was measured because it was sold raw, right? Um, and then you add on that that you know these these portion sizes on the labels are specific, and when we eyeball that, we do a really bad job <laughs> very consistently. Um, if you ask someone to get a teaspoon of peanut butter or a tablespoon of peanut butter and they eyeball that, they're going to do a pretty bad job of it, right? So that's, that's normal and to be expected. So, you know, I understand nutritional labels are important. I do look at nutritional labels, but not for calories. I tend to look for uh, the amount of fiber that's in food and the amount of sugar and the amount of nutrients. I don't know. You know, I personally, uh, I've done the calorie counting model I've used it to lose a lot of weight where I meticulously track my portion sizes and the amount of calories in food and the amount of calories that I'm spending in exercises and exercising. And it's exhausting and it's not sustainable. I lost like a hundred pounds that way. And then I gained a bunch back real yo-yo cycle because you, you just get tired of it and you get inaccurate. So then you have to add another factor, which I always did. I would estimate the amount of calories consuming and burning, and then I would use regular trend analysis of my weight on the scale over time to see how much I needed to tighten or loosen my calorie intake and see how much I needed to change my physical exercise regimen. A very, very data-driven approach um, that just for me was not sustainable. So even though I know there's variance in what the labels allow. I understand the legal framework that the FDA is working with and the food companies in compliance with the FDA. I've just given up on that whole cycle. Um, These days, I've I've gone to a mostly plant-based diet. I do a lot of plant fiber. I don't do added sugars or simple carbs, or I try to do so in a very limited way. I don't weigh myself anymore because I've seen having a daughter who struggled with anorexia and understanding I have some of my own tendencies to try to control my food intake on a kind of obsessive basis. the scales a bad thing for me. I just take a measuring tape, go around my belly button once a week that kind of gives me an estimate of oh wow, maybe uh maybe I'm eating Popeye's fried chicken sandwiches more than I thought <laughs> or 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 something some. Some kind of external accountability, and then I've just, I dropped the whole calorie thing completely. I don't pay any attention to how many calories I eat, and I don't pay any attention to how many calories I burn in exercise. I just try to be physically active, and I eat a lot of fibrous vegetables, a bit of fruit, and very, very sparingly eat meat until I'm full and I've gotten off the hunger cycle. The It is true. There's no way around it. Calories in, calories out works. It's uh, physics, right? <laughs> if you burn more calories than you consume, you will lose weight. If you flip it, you'll gain weight over time for sure. But what I'm learning is the type of calories matter a lot in our health and how hungry we feel. I realized... Now that I've had heart problems, and I was on the way to diabetes, and I made these diet changes, I realized I was never hungry, ever. I had blood sugar crashes that made me miserable and could only be addressed by eating, but I didn't actually have hunger. I'm learning now that when I don't eat foods that are high in sugar or simple carbohydrates and replace them with foods that are high in dietary fiber, I just don't really get hungry. Hungry ever, and so when I sit down to eat a meal, it's satisfying, and I enjoy it, and I eat till I'm full, and then I, I really don't have to think about food until I sit down to eat again, and I can feel that difference. You know, if I, um, if I go to a nice restaurant and I eat bread and I eat, uh, I drink a cocktail. I really, really, really like old fashions, and they, they have just straight up sugar water added to them. It tastes great, but then I get that kind of blood sugar fluctuation later. And I'll, get, I'll start craving those foods that don't support my health goals as well again. So I have to be really mindful of that. You know, I'm going to go to a restaurant tonight. My mom's in town. And I know I'm going to have an old-fashioned. And I know that a couple hours after dinner, I'm going to want ice cream or something. And it's going to be this varying sugar in my bloodstream. And so we have to be careful with a calorie-centered approach to eating. Uh, and I've gotten just a lot more comfortable with um, just ignoring calories. And my health outcomes have really improved from that. I, I, I think the type of calories we eat is just a lot more important. Now, finally, I recognize that voice. <laughs> I don't play a role in picking the questions for the program, but I am delighted when I hear friends. And uh, that is my friend Cameron who asked that question and is the dungeon master in a weekly game of Dungeons & Dragons uh, that I play uh, with some listeners of the Liturgist podcast. Uh, so it was great to hear your, your voice, Cam. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon, and thanks for the great question. Our last question came in via email, and it reads, Hi Mike and team, thanks for all you do. I'm wondering if you could help us compare and contrast the various plans and proposals that each presidential candidate has put forward. Each plan sounds great in a vacuum, but it's difficult to differentiate between each plan. There are just so many important details and data to wade through. I know you're not, but if you could imagine that you were a single-issue voter focused exclusively on climate change, which plan or candidate would you find the most compelling? Thanks for your time and effort. Zach, Zach, I did not want to answer this question (laughs) at all. Um, This is a really hard question. This is a a tremendous opportunity for people to get angry with me for having my own opinions because people get really charged uh, when we talk about politics, and I think, honestly, rightly so. The stakes are high for people right now, especially people of color, in American politics, uh, it also this question isolates our international listeners a little bit. I know you all get tired of hearing about what's happening in the United States, um, but I'm going to answer the question because that's how the show works. It is a sincere question. I can tell by reading it that it's sincere, and that means it deserves an honest and non-judgmental response. So that is what you're going to get from me today. Zach, uh, I'll start at the end. If I was a single issue voter on climate, I probably would have voted for Jay Inslee, uh, because Jay had a terrific plan for climate. Unfortunately, Jay Inslee is no longer in the race. Also, Jay Inslee was never my front runner. Um, i I'm just going to tell you, you asked, this is just my opinion. <clears throat> I can't help you compare all the plans in detail. That would be, um, we would probably need a show per candidate as a series. And suddenly this would be a politics podcast, which might be fun. You know, uh, William Matthews and I kicked around the idea of doing a politics podcast together. And, and if our schedules allow someday, we might do that. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I love talking politics with William, but, um, in the meantime i just don't think we have the bandwidth and i i i think it's important that i enable you to do your own research and not just get you convince you that my process for going through their platforms is best i'll tell you in the beginning of the primary i was torn between kamala harris and elizabeth warren why were those my candidates number 1 i want a woman president you'd be like what we're selecting president based on gender. Science Mike, how is that objective? I just think it's time. I think our collective imagination, we need to see people other than white men in the presidency as an, a form of imagination casting and storytelling for our culture. It tell it sends a message to our world. Uh, we've had one president who's not a white guy and he was a black man, and that's it. It's just white guys. I am ready to see a woman in the highest office in the land, assuming there are qualified women. I wouldn't vote for a woman who is not qualified to be president, but here's the great news. There's literally millions of women who are qualified to be president of the United States, literally millions. So uh, (laughs) we don't have to worry that we're in some way compromising by intentionally choosing a woman, there are a lot of women qualified to be president. And so when I looked at Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren at two different approaches. For Kamala Harris, I thought she would be an extraordinary president. I thought that she um, agreed with enough of the progressive positions that I value, while her background as a prosecutor would allow her to appeal to voters who aren't me. I represent a very tiny slice of the electorate. I am a very, 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 very far left voter. I'm extremely progressive these days, not only on social issues, but on notions of economics. And I represent that. I understand that I don't represent any kind of majority or plurality of the American public. So being pragmatic, I thought Kamala Harris was someone who would get me a lot of what I wanted in policy, but also be plausible to more voters. And then didn't happen. Uh, so then there's Elizabeth Warren, who, when I look at her platform, just agrees with me the most. She just is the closest to me on the issues. Now, she is to the right of me, to be clear. I told you I'm wildly progressive. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren, I just thought, she has a really detailed plans. She's articulate. She's intelligent. She seems like a good leader. Um, and... She's not doing great in polling right now. Uh, but it's still right now at this stage in the game, it does feel like uh, there's there's four or five candidates who could plausibly get there. And when I've looked at projections right now, um, no one having a majority of the vote is almost as likely as any one person getting a majority of the vote by the time of the Democratic Convention. So that means I'm still kind of hanging in there for Liz. Um I've got my my mail in ballot for the California primary on my desk, and I haven't bubbled in the president yet. I'm going to see how the next couple of primaries go, but I'm I'm almost certainly going to vote for Liz. Um, I like I like Bernie. I get a little concerned um, with the energy around Bernie's campaign. Um, I don't know. There's there's some online abuse from Bernie supporters of the people supporting other candidates. Um, I like Bernie. Bernie supporters sometimes make me uncomfortable. I'll just name that. I'm not uh, particularly interested in a Biden presidency, but I also uh, I'm very concerned about Donald Trump as as our president. Uh, and so I will absolutely, regardless of how the primary plays out, whoever gets the nomination on the Democratic side, I will enthusiastically support because wow. I'm sorry, I think President Trump is extraordinarily dangerous um, in American society. And I know that there are political conservatives and theological conservatives who listen to this program, and you disagree with me, and you have a right to. But it is my opinion that Donald Trump is extremely dangerous. Now, the heart of your question was about being overwhelmed with data. There's all these candidates with all these policies, how do you compare them, and how do you see which ones line up best with your beliefs? So I have one, two, three, four, five links in the show notes on this one that are going to help you dig through that. Where in a single article you don't see the plans in a vacuum, but you see the plans compared, and a presidential quiz that you can fill out from I side with. It's pretty good. Uh, that will help you score the candidates on issues that you personally care about. And what I like about the I Side With quiz is they include how they got the result and links for you to go research more to see if you agree with their assessment of your choices. So you have my picks, and I would encourage you to ignore them and instead use the resources down at the bottom of this page to. Um, to go make your own decision. And now, for those of you listening who like Donald Trump, I'm amazed that you listen. I have not been shy with my distaste for this president or the way that I think this president represents a significant threat to all kinds of people who have some kind of marginalized identity, to people of color, to women, to LGBTQ people to immigrants, including legal immigrants, um, or, I, or as I would typically say, documented immigrants. Regardless of whether you support Trump or not, there are credible concerns um, that our current president is trying to invite foreign powers into our electoral process. And that the integrity of our voting system, and therefore our democracy, is starting to come into question. And that is very, very troubling. So the most important thing to me is that in 2020, voter turnout is very high. That people from both parties participate in the process. And that we all send a message to our elected leaders of both parties that voter interference is not okay. So we've just had this fight in the Senate about impeachment, and I want to make sure that we turn the table on that and we make it a public dialogue again about what we will and won't allow in our democratic process. So Trump got acquitted. He did not get impeached. And what I don't want to see happen is the Republicans and especially the Trump administration to take that as a signal that tampering with elections is okay or politicizing the justice system is okay, because that is not okay and is a significant and even existential threat to American democracy. So if you support Trump, fine. Support Trump and hold Trump and Republicans accountable for meddling in the election process, because only you can. Donald Trump and the Republicans in the Senate do not care what I, as a California liberal, has to say about the way they participate in democracy. They will only listen to you, my dear friends, who support Donald Trump. And you've survived another episode of Ask Science Mike. Thank you so much for listening. It is such a joy for me to speak with you every week. I want to thank Andrew Gulucky, Greg Nordine, Caitlin Hermstad, and Britt Crail for their involvement in Ask Science Mike. I want to thank my patrons for making the show possible. And uh, thank you for listening. I can't wait to speak with you next week.